0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad
1: you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. You heard it on Oscar night, but Joaquin Phoenix's impassioned Academy Awards acceptance speech bears repeating. He said, I think we've become very disconnected from the natural world, and many of us, what we're guilty of, is an egocentric worldview, the belief that we're at the center of the universe. We go into the natural world, and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow, and when she gives birth, we steal her baby, even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. Then we take her milk that's intended for her calf, And we put it in our coffee and our cereal. And I think we fear the idea of personal change because we think we have to sacrifice something to give something up. But human beings at our best are so inventive and creative and ingenious. And I think that when we use love and compassion as our guiding principles, we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and to the environment. Thank goodness for people in the spotlight who use their position to do great good. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, your host of the Main Street Vegan Program. And in this month of February 2020, our theme is people to fall in love with. And as I introduce our guest today, I will tell you why I am in love with her, even though I've only met her very, very recently. Last summer, my husband made the very surprising announcement that he wanted to go back to school and study theology. Now, that was always my thing. I was surprised that it had become his. He said that he wanted to study animals and compassion in the world's religions. So after some searching, he found the One Spirit Interfaith Seminary in New York City, signed up there, and said, my dean is vegan. And that's how we came to know animal chaplain, multi-faith educator and author of spiritual rebel a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose sarah bowen sarah is especially interested in the intersection of spiritual values with animal welfare she is a fierce advocate for all creatures and she has been featured in spirituality and health magazine, tricycle the buddhist review and elephant journal as well as on a wide range of podcasts. Welcome, Sarah.
0: Thank you, Victoria. Great to be here.
1: Well, it is wonderful and you are actually here I most am. of the time our shows <laughs> are done by Skype but Sarah is actually in my living room, so that is really really special. So let us start at the very beginning. I know that even though you are a reverend at this point, your life hasn't always been church picnics. Tell us how you got here. <laughs> that would be
0: that would be an understatement. Uh, yeah, I I was raised a Presbyterian preacher's kid, and I had this wonderful, wonderful father. Uh, who was really interested in, you know, some of the things that you open the session with, right? Love and compassion and, and how do we be the change in the world and all of that. Um, but, you know, I, I was a bit rebellious and uh, I was that kid who had to question everything. And my father kind of helped me with that questioning. But, I, you know, I hit puberty and decided I was out. And so then that started the kind of 30-year journey back. To spirituality, which has had it, it has been a roller coaster, right? It's been a roller coaster, um, but has been a, a wonderful journey of trying to figure out what fits for me and what doesn't, and hence the spiritual rebel.
1: Aha! And it is a fabulous book, everybody. Spiritual rebel: a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. So bring in the animal piece. How did you get started with that? Yeah, you know, I I got
0: I was the kid who, on the way home from elementary school, picked up the dead chipmunks on the side of the road, put them in my lunchbox, and took them home to bury them. And then would forget okay. and put my lunchbox on the kitchen counter, and my mother would yell, you know,
1: Sarah!
0: And I would have to explain again, you know, what I was going to do, which was to bury them in her rose bushes, with a little service that ended in May, the force be with you, chipmunk. Aww. Because I'm, I'm a Star Wars addict. Uh, and so, you know, I had this father who took us to the funeral homes and the hospitals. And I understood that life had a cycle, right? That there was birth, there was death, uh, and that we ritualized the cycle. And so I, I guess it was in my DNA in some way. And I, you know, fast forward a few generations or a few decades now. And I still pull over. I pulled over on the way here today. Uh, There was a critter on the road and I pulled over to remove him from the road and give him a blessing. So, you know, that's a piece of the work that I have been doing since I was eight. And I think that what's been really interesting for me is, you know, spirituality for me and my return to spirituality and religion um, is as a way to deal with suffering. All of our traditions have these different methods, these different practices of how do we deal with suffering. And for me, so much of the suffering that's going on in the world right now is not those of us walking around on two legs. We have a lot of suffering. We have a lot of challenges we have, but we have voices as well. And I think a lot of us like to speak for those who don't have voices. And I think that's where the animal piece comes in for me. Mm, That's beautiful.
1: Well, as you spoke, you took me back to my childhood as well. I also had a really interesting father, and he was a physician. He'd been trained as an old-time osteopath, so he had some of these uh, kind of naturopathic uh, uh, inklings. At least early, early on, I remember as a tiny little girl on the back of his business cards, he had a list of mucus-forming foods because oh, he was an ENT. <laughs> so the first one was dairy, wow. even though I drank dairy like crazy. But his patients were told if they had sinus issues, they shouldn't have dairy. And then it said gluten, but I thought it said glutton, and that if you ate too much, it meant you would have to blow your nose a lot. But just like with, with your father, I mean, it was so fascinating, The the... The life and death, you know, I went to the hospital with him often. A few times I can remember going on house calls where he delivered babies when people didn't have the money to go to the, the hospital. And I think that's so wonderful to grow up in the real world and not be just set off doing only kids stuff. I think it is because
0: it it doesn't keep certain things away from us. We often want to shelter our children. Right. We don't don't show them the difficult things. And I think that almost like um, when we're getting used to allergies, right, to to have a little bit, a little bit and a little bit, you know, you think of the story of Siddhartha, right, who became the Buddha and, you know, was was sequestered away in this palace, right, by his father because they didn't want him to see anything that might be troubling. And as he leaves, you know, as he gets out one day and goes and sees what the world is like and sees um, aging and sees illness and sees all of these, you know, it blows his mind, right? And so I think those of us that, as kids who were introduced to these things, it becomes part of our DNA, becomes part of our uh, capacity for compassion. And, you know, we're, we're we're not exactly in our father's
1: businesses, right? But
0: we're doing the same type of work.
1: hmm Yeah. So true. So in the world of faith, and I understand that the interfaith world is um, pretty understanding, pretty open to how different people see things. And yet, still, the world of faith in general seems more closed than it ought to be to ideas around vegan living and animal rights. What are you seeing from the inside? Yeah, it's true. And there's so many wonderful people writing on this right now and talking about this topic
0: Um, I think it's the same thing as, you know, integral theory, right? Ken Wilber tells us that we can be really advanced in one line and not advanced in another line, right? So, for example, I can know a lot about spirituality, but please don't ask me to do math, right? Don't ask me to do math. and, And God forbid you give me an Excel spreadsheet, right? So we have these different capacities in different areas. And so we tend to put halos on people in spirituality and religious and think that they're going to have that high capacity in everything. And that's unfair, in a way, right, and that's also why we see leaders of some organizations that get into messes in certain areas, right? So I think that um, within within animals um, or beings, even extending out beyond just animals, um, different non-human beings that we we haven't evolved as much in our in our spiritual organizations. Now, many of our Eastern religions, I know you talk a lot about a and We talk about the yoga world. Um, have a little bit of jump on the Judeo-Christian world. I, I think we're getting there, but it takes courage. It takes a willingness to look at the habits that we have, and it takes a um, it takes a curiosity to be able to look at what we've been told and what we've been conditioned to, and maybe look at Scripture a little differently. And there's a lot of people who are doing that these days, so uh, that's encouraging. It is indeed. So, you're an animal chaplain. What's that? (laughs) People say, Do you have a church for cats? I really wish I did. In fact, on the bucket list, if I win the lottery, I am going to have a church for cats. My poor cats are the only ones that come to my church. Um, But, you know, we sing a lot. We sing a lot. Um, I do really four different things. Um, One is that I deal with the spiritual needs of animals. Um, And so that can be um, sitting with them in shelters, in sanctuaries, uh, in wildlife, um, you know, really supporting them in a way that is just being present with them, as opposed to needing to do anything specific, just being present. Uh, The second thing that I do is work on interspecies spiritual practices. So that's helping people learn how to increase their capacity for compassion uh, for people that are not just humans. And meditation, and all sorts of different practices we can do. There's a lot of those in the book, in *Spiritual uh, the, really the nut of a lot of the work that I do is around grief and loss, uh, around our companion animals, and that's a hole that we often have. Where you know, if you ask people, "What was your first? What was your first loss?" It's often not a human. It's a goldfish. It's a dog. It's a cat. It's a hamster, right? And and we don't always deal very well with children with that. And we run, run right out and get another one to replace it. Um, you know, we just don't deal with that. And it sticks with us. So I work with people around decisions about unhealthy uh, animals who are sick, um, euthanasia, um, grief, loss, any of those type of topics with people. And then, of course, there's education, advocacy, workshops, uh, what we're doing today. And the last thing that I love to do is sacred send-offs. And that's what I started talking about, where I pull over on the side of the road, and I help anybody who's still stuck there get off the road. And that—that's a personal practice, but it, I think is the most important of the practices to me because we—we, um, when we talk about dignity and respect, um, the idea that we keep driving past animals on the road—if if those were our babies, we wouldn't do that. Right. So that—that's another piece of it, and that's uh, animal chaplaincy for me.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about the grief uh, at the loss of a companion animal, because that can be so difficult, I think in some ways harder than when we lose a dear human friend mm-hmm. or, or a member of the family, largely because the kind of support we get from others when we lose a human from our circle, it can be so well-put and well-placed and, and, um, and right-sized. And yet when we lose a non-human who's very close to us, sometimes closer than humans, because we have these very intimate relationships with us, we tell them everything, they're with us all the time, they see us at our worst. And when that life leaves this sphere, we can be left really devastated so if somebody is listening now who's going through that minister to them
0: yeah you know and it, and it's so many of us because you know 68 percent of our households have a companion animal right so it's not like we're just talking about a small percentage of the population so um i think that the first thing i would say to someone who's who might be dealing with this right now is uh, that your relationship with your animal matters just as much as your relationship with any of the humans that are in your home as well. And I think we need to hear that. Uh, We often hear, oh, it's just a insert animal name here. Mm -hmm. And it's just as important and it hurts just as much. And we can take just as much care in how we deal with that loss as we can with with human loss. So there's a permission that we need to give ourselves for not trying to uh, not trying to sweep it away, not trying to say I should get over this. Um, I am now, I had I lost three cats in six months at one point, which really fueled this work. Um, one went out one day, never came home. The other one succumbed to diabetes. And the third one is still a mystery, but we found him with his back broken. All in six months. And I had to take a lot of time for self-care and a lot of surrounding myself with people who did understand that loss. Um, the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement is a wonderful resource for folks, um, but I had to really be gentle with myself about that and understand that it it is serious and it is important. And I think ritual is also a part of that. Um, so there there are a lot of resources for people now too about you know how can you honor how can you honor the life um, of someone who is important.
1: I think of of wonderful companion animal funerals that we had when my daughter was growing up. So she grew up with uh, four cats and a dog. One cat and the dog lived until she was uh, in adulthood. But when we lost the others, there was always, always a ceremony that was so healing And I remember in particular, we had a cat named Albert, and all our cats lived very, very long. But Albert had just started to seem a little bit not like himself on the day in 1999 when a crew from the Oprah Winfrey show came to our home. We were still living in Kansas City, and they filmed all day to get... A two-minute segment (laughs) uh, for their remembering uh, your spirit segment. And the producer looked through the camera at Albert, and she had just dismissed him earlier because he was elderly and getting thin. He had kidney issues, as cats often do. But when she looked through the camera, she said, well, I guess it's really true that the camera adds 10 pounds. Albert looks great. So he got on Oprah, and the day after the show, he decided he didn't want to eat any more, even high-value foods. And then a few days after that, he decided he didn't want water, and then he left this world on his own without any help from a vet, and apparently without pain and suffering. He seemed very content. And I wrote about him in my book, Younger by the Day, in a chapter about looking at our own mortality. And if I can leave this world with half the grace that Albert showed, then I'll be doing it right.
0: We, yeah, we can learn a lot from how they deal with their own suffering, too, I think. Um, I, still, uh, I still meditate. I think with, with our, our little cat who, I, I meditate with animals, that's one of the big thing that I do and that I teach, uh, with wildlife, with domestic animals. But when we lost Max, he was he was our little orange, uh, crazy, crazy run up the tree cat. He would come out of the house and the squirrels would take off, right, here comes Max. And uh, and he's the one who had the fall. And about six months after he he had passed on to whatever, Two little orange squirrels appeared—bright orange squirrels, a color that doesn't exist in our usual squirrels. And I say our (laughs) in the way of our yard. But um, and I I just kind of walked up the tree and said, "Max, right?" And and I have no idea if my cat is now a squirrel, right? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, But there is still a connection, and so that's another piece that I think is really um, important—that we once our cats dogs whatever have left their bodies um, that we still have a connection with them and we can still speak with them and we can still um, pull down the photo albums and we can still have conversations or whatever because that connection is important and it's important to our heart and even you may feel like right now I feel very warm you know talking about that and I can see Victoria smiling as well <laughs> um, so I
1: think that that's another important piece of it. It's so important, these relationships. I also like that you brought up meditating with animals because I have seen as long as I have meditated, which has been something like 40 years, whenever a cat or dog or other non-human being has lived with me, They've always been there for meditation, and now I'll just say to my dog, Forbes, Forbes, time to meditate, and he just trots on in, and he sits right next to me. I think they're very aware of this kind of change in the mental attitude. I think so,
0: I think so, and I think one of the things that, that happens is that when we settle our energy down, I think we're a little easier to be with also, right? We're running in and out. I know that sometimes, I have a little rescue cat, um, you know, I'm too big for for deacons. Sometimes I come in through the door too loud. I'm too big. My shoes are too heavy, and when I when I sit and I settle myself down, then he can settle down too. Right? And I think I think that makes a difference. My husband and I had the amazing honor and privilege of meditating with lions two years ago with the white lions in South Africa. There's a spiritual line of uh, there's a whole. Kind of story about if you look up the, the white lions um, of white animals, like as we know, right in a lot of spiritual traditions, white animals are special. Uh, but we were open air in a, uh, in a Jeep with, with those animals and just the power of being near something kind of being the flip side of, of how my little cat might feel with me. to be in the presence of something so grand and so huge and to hear a roar of a lion and then the back roar that sounds almost like they've got a hairball. You know, there's this beautiful roar and there's kind of a ho, 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 (laughs) ho that goes on, you know, and that kind of thing. But to be able for us to be relational, as you just said, relational with other species uh, increases our empathy and our compassion. And I think when you meditate with lions, you get a little check on, you know, maybe humans so Aren't the top of that apex <laughs> a little more understanding of of, of our place? Wow, perhaps. yeah,
1: that's so interesting. That's yeah. just what Joaquin Phoenix said, but without bringing up lions in particular. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much majesty out there in the others, and I think in a spiritual way. There is that within us as well. I think that's the wonderful thing. I know a lot of people are vegan. A lot of people are animal rights activists. And the whole spiritual piece is just not for them, which is fine. And yet for those of us for whom it is, it just makes so much sense that where we connect with the animals is through this love and light at our center, which is also at their center they just don't seem to have the baggage that we do. <laughs> that we placed
0: on top of ourselves. Yeah. yeah, I think
1: so. And for me, spirituality is a coping skill.
0: It is something that I had to learn because I'm a twelve stepper, mm-hmm. right? So part of that me leaving the church and me, you know, spinning out in puberty includes sex, drugs, and rock and roll and that whole story, right? And so my way back into sanity, my way back into wellness was twelve step. And that's how I learned a spiritual path of being able to pick what what makes me a better person to work with. And so it's truly a coping skill. And as someone who is living in a world where people aren't eating animals and we're dining with other people. You know, you've talked a lot on your show about, you know, what it's like to be out in the world as a vegan. Right. And the challenges that we have. Um, my spiritual practice is what grounds me. Uh, it's much it's really about supporting me. In living in the world and seeing the suffering and the anguish and everything that we have going. So it's very experiential and very practical. It's not just belief
1: based. Well, that sounds like probably the animals. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to believe anything, right. they just That's are right. it. Yeah. So, listeners, to get to know this beautiful woman better, her website is This Is sarahbowen.com and that is sarah s-a-r-a-h and her facebook page is author sarah bowen and on instagram which is where we all are these days is modern reverend which you are indeed is your is your dad still with us my father passed
0: away when he was 65 in three weeks of cancer Mm. And my inheritance was 1,500 sermons that I didn't really know if I wanted or not. And I was very, very, very angry. And so my first book was The Journey of How Do I Reconcile Myself with My
1: Father's Death. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, I believe that he is looking at you from wherever he is and, and feeling very, very proud. You just have the most beautiful energy. And the book, of course, Spiritual Rebel... A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. So I am with Sarah for this whole beautiful hour. I just love it when somebody can actually come into my home in New York City. And together we connect with the wonderful engineer out at Unity Village, just outside Kansas City, and bring you this wonderful program. So thank you for being with us today, Thank you for staying with us through the messages that follow. And when we come back, I'm going to invite you to something at Unity Village, Missouri, something that's happening this fall. I'll be there. Reverend Sarah Bowen will be there. Dr. Milton Mills and Dr. Will Tuttle and some of your other good friends will be at the first ever Vegan Spirituality Forum and Retreat Stay with us, and when we get back, I'll give you all the skinny on that cool thing. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be back right after this.
0: Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
1: Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. And I will continue with letting you know about the Vegan Spirituality Forum and Retreat. Now, it's not happening until September 10 through 13 of 2020. So you have lots of time to decide. But the early bird special is on through February 29. So if you want to take advantage of that... You can check out all the information. I made a tiny URL, so you can go to tinyurl.com slash veganspiritretreat. And that will tell you everything that you need to know. We will also put this on the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net, along with all of the information uh, that you'll need for learning more about Reverend Sarah Bowen and being in touch with her online and on social media. And also, I invite you while you're over there at Mainstreetvegan.net to check out everything that we do in the wonderful world of Main Street Vegan. You can subscribe, and that means that you'll get our blog and uh, newsletter. Um, The blog is weekly. The newsletter is every now and then. (laughs) and There's also information there about Main Street Vegan Academy. So if you are a vegan and you have been thinking of taking your vegan outreach to the next level, read up on Main Street Vegan Academy. We are a magical six-day program in New York City with a Really wonderful faculty that includes a medical doctor, a registered dietitian, wonderful fashion designer Joshua Catcher, chef Fran Costigan. All kinds of amazing people that will give you a solid background in vegan principles, communication principles, and business principles so that you can go out in the world certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator and carry this message out in those wonderful ripples further and further to do ever greater good. So thanks for stopping by. And now back to my conversation with Reverend Sarah Bowen. Does that reverend ever make you feel like you're masquerading as somebody else? (laughs) I usually put parentheses around it (laughs) because for some people, that word can be a
0: little triggering. Um, For others of us, you know, if I think of the word reverend, it comes from the word reverence. Oh, and so. You know, there's a commitment that you make when you go through ordination. um, You know, that is for me. uh, Was my my vows were based all around animals, and so it was to help reduce the do what I can do to help reduce the suffering in the world for all beings. Right, and so. From that capacity, right, the idea of reverend and reverence for life in that way is a lot different than what you might think of when you see REV in front of my name. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So did where did you get this ordination? So I was ordained through One Spirit
0: Interfaith Seminary in New York City. with mm-hmm. this wonderful, wonderful two-year program. I'm a little jaded uh, <laughs> because I now teach for it. Uh, but we have this great two-year program where the first year is learning all about the world's religions, spiritual traditions, wisdom paths, philosophies, um, everything, anything you could think of, right? And so we learn about the commonalities underneath all of these, which is love, compassion, care for creation, all of that, right? So it's it's very experiential. And then the second year is really around developing what your ministry is. And for me, it was very funny. I didn't know what mine wanted to be. I, I wasn't actually sure why I was even there. Right. I was writing this book uh, on spirituality for my father's stuff and I was taking classes all over the place. And this place looked a little quirky and interesting and, and like me. And so I, while I was there and we started developing our ministries, someone said, you know, Sarah, what are you thinking about? And We had you know, yoga practitioners and we have therapists and we have advocates and social justice folks and also not just pulpit preachers. Right. We have all sorts of uh, things across the board. And I said, I'd like to have a roadkill ministry. And what was amazing about this program is the woman who was my dean at the time didn't laugh. She said, have you heard about animal chaplaincy? And I said, ooh, tell me about that. I think I've been doing it since I was eight. And so the ability to have someone um, understand what was so important to me and to help me figure out what that looked like in the world was really important. And that's so I stayed with that organization. That's where my ordination is.
1: And you got to write your own vows, kind of like writing your own marriage vows.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know, because we because I'm not in, I was born Presbyterian. My father was Presbyterian. He took certain vows in the Presbyterian Church. Right. Um, for us, because we're all over the place, we're, we're the people who um attend one spirit have different they could be in one faith tradition they could be mix and match you know it could be anything there's there's a focus on two important things one is our shared ethics code right so we uh we want to be nice to each other nice to others so we have an ethics code we agree to and then our vows are are personal they're personal and we take a lot of you know there's a lot of work when you develop what your own have you ever sat and thought about what your ethics code is Right. You know, we we do this kind of idea of when I had to write my ethics code, I got all kind of tied up in um, language in language. You know what happens if, for example, am I vegan if I feed meat to my cats? This is a big quandary. And someone please create a cat food for my
1: cats that doesn't have animals in it right? It's happening. We're not there yet. I mean, Memphis Meats (laughs) is getting all kinds of of investment. I mean, to me, I'm excited about all of the innovation in in the plant-based meats and the lab-grown meats. I don't want lab-grown meat, but cats... Oh my goodness. Exactly. So, you know, so I sat down to write my code about, you know, what, what,
0: what is my code? Not what I was given. And there are pieces in there of the stuff I was raised with. Sure. Mm-hmm. But to, to be in midlife and to say, what do I really believe? And it came down to the first item on my own ethics code that I wrote was I will always replace my shopping cart to the corral <laughs> because I can all, I can commit to that. And so I have problems with labels and I often have problems with what do those labels mean? And I, and I struggle with, um, all sorts of labels. I struggle with vegans sometimes, too, like I just mentioned, right? Um, so, you know, doing that and be, having the permission to do that on a personal level, it's so important to dig into. What what do we believe? How do we want to act?
1: Well, I'm so grateful that you went through the program and are now teaching there and were there literally to catch William. Because <laughs> it, it's very different, I think, to embark on a course of study with the idea that animals are going to be central to what you want to do if everybody else there is thinking uh, animals. Well, and it's interesting because we we have a tradition at One Spirit um, where, you know, we we
0: have online students and we have students who are in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can see people in their homes. And just like you mentioned earlier, Victoria, about, you know, you're doing meditation and all of a sudden your dog, your cat is like right there, right? Um, So we see that. And so I'll see a lot of our, our, we call them our Zoomers because we use the Zoom platform. Um, You know, you'll see people's uh, four-leggeds and two-leggeds and finned and, you know, feathered and all of that there as well. And how wonderful that we don't have to separate, right? This is a human space. Mm -hmm that kind of thing. So it's very much part of of what we do.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So I just want to let you know a couple of things that Sarah is going to be doing coming up. Uh, And again, her her website is thisisarabowen.com. She will be giving a spiritual rebel retreat at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, August 14 through sixteen. And she will be doing a program called Animals, the Planet, and Us, Creating Spiritual Connections for Thriving at the One Spirit Interfaith Seminary in New York City, October 3rd. So if you are in the New York area or feel like coming here which I highly recommend it's an amazing place Uh, you might want to check those out
0: yeah and the October one uh, we do have the capacity for anyone around the world through we have this great interactive like I said we use zoom and we and we have an online platform and you're in the classroom on a screen completely interactive we break you up into dyads and triads and all of that too so oh you're anywhere that one might
1: be applicable wow well and people listening to this podcast are indeed anywhere, so anywhere and it's, everywhere it's which universe. Is yeah. so wonderful so sarah why is spiritual practice important and does a person have to be religious to do that oh that's the million dollar question these days right um no, you don't
0: have to be religious to be spiritual. You don't have to be spiritual to be religious. We, have, You know, again, looking at language, um, I think that what we've done is we've taken a lot of things that we don't like about people and we've smashed those onto the word religion. Um, you know, we, we have we put a lot of our baggage in those places, and there's a lot of treasures. There's a lot of treasures in the world's traditions. Um, I think the importance for me, like I said, you know, I grew up with this wonderful father, but my family had some issues, and my uh, addiction was one of them, right? And it goes back many, many generations. And so I didn't learn some of the things that I needed to learn. And when I started doing spiritual practice, like a lot of us start doing yoga, right? That's very popular now. We start to learn certain things there. We start doing meditation. We look at mindfulness. Um, What really happened for me when I got into seminary was I had no idea there was all this other stuff out there, right? There are so many different practices. And what they did was they helped me get balanced. They helped me get well. They helped me learn to be more compassionate. They helped me learn how to be in connection with people, how to communicate. And so they were tools, right? They were, they were tools, and it, and it was based on me learning how to regulate myself, how to deal with my emotions, um, how not to have to use wine to chill out at night. That was one of my favorite things to do, wine and some cigarettes. That'll fix the problem, right? Um, and so spirituality for me is really it's, it's a personal thing, uh, but it can't stay. I, I can go on, but I'll wrap up in this place. It can't stay just about us. You know, there's kind of a a me spirituality, but we also have to go into this place of we spirituality. And so the idea of sangha or the idea of when we group up together in communities, the amazing things that we can do to affect change, that's part of spirituality and that's part of religion, too. So, you know, there are a lot of organizations uh, and in, in your the movie that you worked on with Peter Jackson, The Prayer for Compassion there were a lot of different references to organizations within religions and within spiritual paths that are focused on animals and on veganism. And, on, you know, I, I like to say our choices matter. And it comes down to that. Our choices matter. So um, I think that it's personal, and it also
1: has to extend out past us. And in your book, you, you talk about spiritual moments, and, and you've given every day of the week – a spiritual tag. So you've got mindful Monday and talking Tuesday and wonder filled Wednesday. So your, your, um, your, your three week plan, your three week program of getting people started is week one is being week two is deepening and week three is expanding. So can you explain to us being deepening and expanding? I sure can. I think,
0: you know, part of part of the preamble to those three weeks is is take, doing something I call taking out our sacred trash. So that's looking at all the beliefs we inherited. Hey, carnism might be one of those. Right. In the, in this context, uh, but we take a look at all this stuff that we might want to reevaluate and then we sink into to being. Right. A lot of times we think we have to be doing we have to be doing different things. So breathing is, is thing, or being is things like breathing practices. Mindfulness practices, um, learning how to just be with ourselves. We're often trying to distract ourselves i I am subject to some Netflix binging, that's for sure, right? but how can we learn just to be? And then the deepening takes us further into all right now that we're settled, what about those thoughts that come up? What about the stress that might come up? What about you have you ever had the you know sitting down meditating and all of the things start flooding you of my god i didn't pay that bill and that family member is driving me psycho and you know all these different thoughts how do we deal with that and then the third week is expanding out beyond ourselves uh, one of my favorite practices is just smiling at other people when you walk by them right what happens if you do that for a full day so the idea behind the book is spiritual moments um, i'm not good at getting on my meditation cushion for an hour in the morning and i'm not good at getting to yoga every day either so what are things that i can do that takes 3 4 or 5 minutes grounds me during the day could do it a couple times a day could do one a day Uh, each one has a bunch of different variations so if one thing doesn't work
1: for you try something else ah it sounds like uh, the elastic waist um, form of spirituality oh i'm
0: gonna use that that's great on the website yeah it is because because we need choice and and we need to know that you know what we what we do and our actions matter they affect each other
1: So as you come to the end of of the book, you talk about revealing higher purpose. And one of your little sections here is don't act blindly, treat animals kindly. What do you tell your readers there? Oh, is that the piece on social media? Yes.
0: My friend Carla has started an initiative called CHIP, Compassionate Humane Internet Posting. So one of the things, like we all love cute animal videos, like. Well, most of us, a lot of us like cute animal videos. Um, but one of the things that Carla, she started a uh, uh, animal facility in Indiana and uh, that helps spay and neuter low cost um, and, and treats uh, pets, uh, cheap wellness visits and all sorts of things. I'm not doing it justice. Um, but she you know, really brought my attention to take a look at the animals in these videos Because what are people doing to get them to do things? And are they doing things that are natural to them? Or are they doing things that, you know, where they might not consent to what is being done to them, right? And so before we just share something, oh look at that, isn't that funny, to really take a look and put ourselves in the place of the animal who's in that video. And so as a result, I kind of took a drastic measure, which is I generally only share uh, videos of my own animals because I know how I'm treating them. Um, and I really do a little more looking at what do I think is the behavior behind what's getting something, someone to do something funny like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, how about social media in general? Let's move beyond animals for a minute, but in, in the vegan world and you know, the whole world of people are so passionate nowadays, which thank goodness is wonderful. We need passion. And yet Sometimes it seems like the internet is the place where people's dark side goes oh, to it play.
0: It, does, it
1: how, does. How do we have interaction in social media and still keep our spiritual selves intact? So there's a,
0: there's a line that comes from 12 Step. Um, that is about restraint of pen
1: and tongue. Oh, that's my favorite. And I'd nothing like to say, pays as handsomely as restraint of tongue and pen. I've always said that if I were to get a tattoo, which I never will because I can go into a panic over a bad haircut, but if I were to get a tattoo, that would be it. And restraint I would add and keyboard. Tongue. That's it to the
0: end of it. And yeah. so I think we have to think. And one of the things that we become conditioned to now is to immediately re- respond. Right, so to look at something and think, do I like this, do I not like this? And we create this binary, right? And we have five options, I think, on Facebook, like, I like it, I don't like it, I'm mad, I'm sad. I don't know what the other one is, but we- you know. I
1: think angry is actually one, isn't angry, it? Angry? No, you said mad, yeah, angry, okay. angry,
0: crying, uh, happy, unhappy. So so yeah. we become, we are, we are fine tuning our judgment skills, aren't mm. we, real fast, real fast of how do I react to this? And we aren't thinking, and we aren't being contemplative in any way. And so that's another thing for me about spiritual practice is that it increases our contemplative ability. This isn't about, you know, whether there's a deity or not, right? This is about um, trying to get more in touch with our own ability to, um, to see connection and to be kinder to each other, right, to feed that. So I think for me, we've got to add a little distance between our responses to social media and to think about them a little more.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because there's so much there. I mean, I think that the reason that veganism is where it is today probably owes more to social media than anything else. People are getting these ideas and images out. I think
0: about how powerless I was as a child.
1: I didn't want to eat the
0: things that were on the plate in front of me. And I didn't have the agency in my house to be able to say that. Thanksgiving was the worst day of the year. um, And I was teased for not wanting to sit next to the turkey right? And things like this. Had I had the internet, had I been able to know there were other people like me and what to do about it and what the options were, what an amazing world that is open right now. But we have to use it really carefully because we can hurt each other.
1: And and we do. Yeah. And, and we are. I was just reading statistics. I think it was in... Uh, Dr. Ornish's latest book, Undo It, if uh, you all missed that interview with him back in December, it was terrific. Please look it up in the archives. But he gave a statistic that people who are on social media more feel more isolated than people who are on it less.
0: Yeah. And there's a quote that I I, um, put in Spiritual Rebel from someone who does research uh, on happiness and on connection. And so that one in four people uh, do not feel like they have a close friend that they can confide in one in four. Oh, and one in eight of us are suffering from addiction. Right? So we, we we're disconnected. We're disconnected. And then, you know, so for me, that spirituality and that sangha and that, you know, that, that connection um, is a big piece of that for me to make sure I stay connected because I have been depressed I have been, you know, I spent a lot of time really getting good at addiction, um, and that is a very, very lonely place to be. Mm. And now we're doing it, you know, sometimes with our digital addictions, right? It doesn't just have to be wine or drugs or cigarettes or food or whatever it happens to be. We can do it digitally,
1: too. Mm. Now, you said a word that some people might not know, sangha. Oh, I
0: did. So Sangha is from the
1: Buddhist tradition, um, and
0: we, we owe its popularity to uh, Thich Nhat Hanh here and his prolific writing. But it's the idea of community. And we've kind of extended it out now to be outside of the Buddhist community. I use another word in the book, seva, which comes from the uh, Indian spiritualities, which we kind of incorrectly call Hinduism. Um, and that's the idea of compassionate service. So for me, spirituality is three pieces. It's individual practice. It's seva. So that's compassionate service. That your advocacy and your sacred activism are in there. And it's sangha, it's people. We need we need each other. We really need each other.
1: You said three, but I think you described two.
0: Individual practice would Individual be one. Individual practice, Seva, okay. Seva, service. passionate service would be mm. two. Sangha would be three. I got it. You yeah. said
1: three. I just heard two. Okay. That's
0: okay. Well, then I got to double down on it. <laughs> so, yeah, we have Seva Saturdays and Sangha Sundays.
1: Love it. Love it. So... I always like to ask nutritionists and chefs, what do you eat in a day? And I want to ask you, what do you do for your spiritual practice in a day? I'm so glad you didn't ask me what I eat for the day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit that I am all in here from the suffering and animal side, and my nutrition is not where it should be. So I'm going to keep listening to Main Street Vegan uh, to make sure that I get more of that. But for spiritual practice, each day, it can it can be a lot of different things. And that's why I love the variety. Uh, so there's going to be a little meditation, a little mindfulness. I throw an I Ching in the morning or a Yixing, some Chinese coins and read from a book, some ideas of what I might like to focus for the day. Uh, there's going to be a piece of service. Uh, there's going to be some meditating with squirrels, there's going to be some meditating with cats, Um, all sorts of things, uh, sacred reading. There's a practice I really love called Lectio Terrestris, which is the idea of going out into nature with a book and seeing how the book changes based on where you are. So, for example, think about taking a book that, that might be about nature, right, and go read it in nature instead of on your sofa, It changes it. The context does. Um, Forest bathing, we hear a lot about that now. Shinrin Yaku, uh, which is the idea of instead of hiking and really getting in on it, uh, you just go in the forest and sit and bathe each one of your senses. What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? All of these. So all of these can be practices. And I can do, like I said, there's 21 days of them in the book, right? Um,
1: So it can be anything. It's just whatever's connecting me. And what do you do at night? I find sometimes that... My mornings are sacred. And most mornings, unless I've been up too late the night before, I get all the good stuff in. But night, sometimes I'm just tired, I just want to go to bed. So do you have something that you do to kind of make that time of uh, taking off from this world temporarily a bit more sacred? I do. And here's where, here's where my love of pop
0: culture gets exposed. Um, I like to read something that is fun and that is otherworldly in some way, right? Whether I'm making my way through Harry Potter or I'm reading a Star Wars fan fiction or I'm reading something. I love dystopian novels. Oh, I can't stop. But I, I unhook uh, by reading something that isn't helpful or isn't based on me learning, right? That's one piece. I do that with my cats. So they have places they sit. So they purr me to sleep. Uh, So Deacon will sit on my lower legs and Bubba G will sit right up on my face. So it's kind of hard to get the book up there, right? But I I detach with them, which is important to me. And then I do something that we do in 12-step, which is kind of a daily review of my day. So I look at, you know, where did I do great? And what might I like to do a little different tomorrow? And that's that's what we call a 10-step. So just a review, not a way to shame myself or beat myself up, but
1: you know, kind of look at the day. What happened today? Right? Yeah, that's lovely. And I think that it's easy to to go onto that other line of, oh my gosh, I was imperfect. Of course you were imperfect. That's how it's supposed to be. We would be so <laughs> boring if we were perfect. We'd be so boring. We would indeed. I remember in catechism book, uh, and oh, I was probably in first grade or so in a Catholic school, and there was a picture of Mary in the Catholic tradition. She didn't die the regular way. She was assumed into heaven. She bodily went up. And there was a picture of her just floating up above this village as she went to heaven. And that picture comes back to me sometimes when I think I'm supposed to be perfect, that if I were really that perfect, that might happen to me. I just might get sucked on up and I'm not ready for that.
0: I like that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it, and if we were, if we were perfect, just the, the,
0: the weight that that would be, right? There's so much freedom in being able to say, I don't get it all. I don't know it all.
1: But. We know some things and we get some things. And that is what is so absolutely stunning for me about having the great blessing of being able to host the Main Street Vegan podcast because I get to talk with people like Reverend Sarah Bowen and so many other wonderful folks who really do get it. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting our program. Thanks to everyone for listening. I'll see.